Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. And uh, our, our, our series is closing out today, No Filter. How many of you have been blessed by this series? I hope so. Uh, we've been going for six weeks, and uh, we have talked about uh, who is God, and we, we looked at the importance of really removing all the filters, uh, all the filters as we, as we see God, we want to see him for who he really is, and not through the denominational filters or through your background or through tragedy or different things that have happened in your life that actually create filters so that when you see God, you see him through those things, and it alters him from who he really is. So we looked, we spent two weeks talking about who is God, and we talked about his greatness and his closeness. And remember we said you will appreciate his closeness when you see his greatness. And then we looked at who we are in Christ. Now that we see God accurately, we need to know who we are in Christ. We talked about our identity in Jesus. And how many of you know that's important? It's important for you to know who you are as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus. And then we looked the last time at what has he given us. We looked at spiritual gifts, and, um, and that was a fun one and, and maybe challenging for some of you because maybe you've been in a denomination who, who didn't really talk about some of those things. And, and, uh, and, and, and so hang on. I told you we're going to be talking more about that in September as I'm going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. So we looked at what has he given us, and then finally today, what do we do with it? How do we live this thing out? Who is God? Who are we in Christ? What has he given us? And how do we walk this thing out every single day? Romans chapter one and verse five, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says this, he's talking about Jesus, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, Two, so what he's about to tell us is that the grace of the Lord and his calling as an apostle was for a specific purpose, and he's about to tell us what that purpose is right here. We've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience, this translation says, of faith, If you look in the Greek, it should actually be the obedience which comes from faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that my goal is not to see converts. My goal is not to pack out churches. My goal is to see Christ followers little disciples of Jesus following and living their lives every day for him. Turn with me now to Romans, I'm sorry, Matthew 28. And I want to look at the Great Commission and see what Jesus has to say about this topic. The Great Commission, Jesus is about to go and he's leaving his disciples with a a kind of a final farewell. And he says in verse number 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to hone in on verse 20. Teaching them all that I have commanded. Is that what it says? Teaching them to observe or walk out or live in all that I have commanded you. And then he's about to tie in how we do that. And he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Did you see what he did right there? He said, guys, I want you to go make disciples, but I want you not just to teach them truth. Don't just teach them everything that I've commanded, but teach them how to live it out. There's a big gap sometimes between the truth that you know and the truth that you live. I've heard it said that it's easier to preach 10 sermons than to live one. And I'm here to tell you that's the truth. I've been saved now 18 years, and I remember that because uh, I'll never forget, um, I was in boot camp, as I shared, in the Coast Guard, and it was September 2001, and so right after I got saved, 9-11 happened, and over these 18 years, you know, uh, I I got saved, and I I moved to New Orleans and, and got put into a great church and and was on fire for Jesus and serving him. But what I found is that some of the things that I struggled with before I got saved, they, they just like miraculously went away. And some of the desires I had miraculously went away. But some of them did not. And if you have the testimony in here today that Ever since you got saved and the moment you got saved, all your struggles went away and all of your temptations, then praise God for that, but it's not normal. Can I get an amen? I remember going to this church and being so excited for for Jesus, trying to figure out how to live for the Lord. And I I mean, I even remember like, you know, you know, go like going into the dating game, but I'm like, okay, but it's it's a Christian now, so it's gotta it's gotta be different, right? only really to find out that the Christian girls that I started dating were were just as bad as the ones that I dated before. And then I was confused. And what I found is that I would come to church and and, and I I would have, have struggled throughout the week with things that, you know, as I would come to church and I would look around and everybody appeared to have it all together. And so what I did is I really thought, well, maybe this is just me. And, and, and condemnation began to set in, and I thought, I don't even think I know how to live this out. Everybody else here raising their hands and shouting hallelujah, they seem to have the perfect Christian life. Why do I seem to go back and deal and battle with my flesh on a daily basis? And as things progressed and I began to grow in the Lord, I realized that there would be seasons where being obedient to God would come as natural as breathing only to find myself in another season where it seemed like all hell was breaking loose against me to live for God. Has anybody been there before? We're in this process, really, of trying to not just learn information and as much as 
it's important to read this book, and I read this book every single day, and I hope that you do too. But I, I wanna do more than read it. I want, I want the truth every morning. Listen, every morning when I get up and I open this book, I start by saying, Holy Spirit, I, I surrender myself, my mind, my, my, my will, my emotions, my spirit over to this book. Let, let what I read get implanted on my heart so that I can walk it out. Because if all I do is stand up here and preach sermons to you and I go back and live like everybody else, we got a problem. And if all you do, come on, is come in here and sit in church and hear truth from me, but you have no clue how to really live this thing out, then you're never gonna really live in the freedom God's called you to. This, and I'm getting off track, this is not in my notes, but listen, this is why so many youth groups, uh, 85% of teenagers, after they graduate from youth group, they leave the church. Why is that? Because... It's not in our youth group, by the way. Our kid, listen, we got some front rowers right here. Worshiping. But, but as somebody who was in youth ministry for years, I realized that, that youth leaders, youth pastors are really good at two things. Serving pizza. And, and facilitating some really crazy games. Come on, we've had... We've had our share of crazy games. We've seen kids eat stuff in this very room that we don't want to tell them about. They're really good at pizza and games, and then they're really good at telling kids what not to do. By the way, Jesus said this, don't do this. You should do that. Don't do this. You should do that. Only to find that those kids... Shake their head, I hear you, that's what you're supposed to say, you're the youth pastor, cool, I'm not gonna do that. And then they go back to their normal life and they do what? They do that. <laughs> and then they feel like, and this is what I've heard over and over and over, this Christian thing is just not for me. Because we've not equipped them with the power source of how they can actually live in victory. We've, we've been good at teaching the commands, but we've got to tie the commands with the person. So my responsibility is not just to teach people what God commands, but teach them how to live out what God said. I remember in living in Tallahassee, Growing up, and uh, you know, I was a PK. My dad was a pastor, and one of our neighbors went to our church, and I remember seeing him uh, at church, and and this was early on. What something that really tainted me uh, for that? I, I did not like church, by the way, uh, until I was in my twenties. I, I, the last thing, if you would have told me I'd be doing what I'm doing now, I would have laughed in your face because I didn't like church and I didn't like church people. But I remember my, my neighbor who, who he, you know, man, at church, he was like, hey, brother, God bless you. Hey, God bless you. Oh, praise God. I mean, he just had the, you know, the Christian face. And the Christian, and everything's always good. And God is just always blessing. 
but I saw him at home. And there would be times when I would hear him talking to his wife through the walls. You know what I'm talking about. And, and there would be times I would go over there and see things in his house and in his fridge and hear things. And I thought, wait a minute, this does not line up from what I see at church. As a matter of fact, what I see at church is like a whole nother person than what I see outside of church. And, and it didn't make sense to me because I, I, I just, I, I don't believe in playing the hypocrite. Are you with me today? So I want us to grow together. I want us to learn together how to live, how to live out a life of obedience. Not perfection, but obedience. Are you ready? I'm gonna give you three things that are gonna help us as we sustain a life of obedience. Um, and here's the first one. We need to understand what it means to live a life of faith. Now, I know that's like a general uh, Christian term that we like to use, but I want to unpack it for you because the Bible says it's, imp it's impossible to please God without faith. A.W. Tozier says this, faith enables our spiritual sense to function. Where faith is defective, the result will be numbness to spiritual things. Faith enables our spiritual sense to function. Where faith is defective, the result will be numbness to spiritual things. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse one, I'm gonna put it up in the Amplified. And um, you've heard me talk about this uh, a few times as it relates to faith, and I'm gonna probably come back to this two or three times a year because it's that important. Uh, Hebrews 11, one in the Amplified says this, now faith is the assurance and then what's those next two words? Say it with me. Faith is the assurance, or it is the title deed, or the confirmation of things hoped for, or divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. In other words, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. And so, and so faith is your title deed. I'm gonna explain this again. What is a title deed? Well, if you've ever purchased a home, when you went to closing, you signed your life away on a title deed. And as soon as you signed that, they gave you those keys. And what did that tell you? That told you you are now in debt. <laughs> No, it told you that you are now the owner, legal owner of this home, which means there's a legal document stating that it is your property. And so what happens is, is if I come up to your door tonight at 2 a.m. and I knock, hey, uh, just want you to know, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna take over for a few days. I need you to get all of your stuff Get, get out of bed, miss, you two, out of bed, and leave right now. I just, I, I'm gonna come in for a few days. What would you do to me? <laughs> Somebody said, shoot you. <laughs> I'm not coming to your house. You, you, you listen, you, you could legally 
stand there, not that you would even have to do that, but you could pull out your title deed and say, this is legally mine, now you need to step up off my porch. And you would have legal ground to do that. What does faith do, church? Why is it so important for you and I to activate faith and to know truth? Because, because the truth of God, see, Jesus signed at the closing room in his blood. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, it was stamped and signed. Now you have a, a spiritual title deed. There are promises that are yours. There are things that God says about you. Romans chapter eight and verse one says, there is now no condemnation. That's a legal term. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. What does this look like? Condemnation is gonna come knocking at your door at 2 a.m. Uh, excuse me, sir, I need you to let me in right now. And if you don't know faith, if you don't know truth, if you don't have your title deed nearby, you're gonna be like, oh, well, it's 2 a.m. No, let me in now. Uh, okay, okay, going in. And, and condemnation walks in your house and, and actually climbs up in your bed and just chilling. Just chilling. Now all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're living life. You come to church on Sunday and you're like, praise God, hallelujah. But through the week, there's condemnation rolling around saying, you're not really a Christian. You can't really do this. Everyone else at church is perfect, but I know who you really are. And you're allowing it to stay there. Then guilt comes around for something you did. And he knocks on the door. Yeah, see, um, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I know what you did yesterday. Yeah, I was, I was there. Uh, you're gonna have to let me come on in, please. You're like, I don't really think I want you in. And he just barges his way in. Now in your favorite recliner, in your favorite, just walked up in your fridge too. Like, you know, you know, people just don't, you don't do that. You don't walk up in somebody's house and just, you know, open the fridge and just grab something and just start eating and drinking. Now that's what guilt's doing. So now you're dealing with condemnation and now guilt's there, and guilt is saying you're a sinner. What makes you think you can raise your hand? What makes you think you can worship? I know who you really are, and you've allowed him to kick back in your recliner. But you know what we need to do as Christians? Come on, somebody. Guilt is gonna come to your door, and shame is gonna come to your door, and condemnation is gonna come to your door and say, you don't have to let me in. And I'm gonna say, actually, no, I don't, because Jesus signed this in his blood, and it's a legal document which says I'm a child of the living God, which says I've been redeemed, which says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the kicker is you may feel guilty and you may feel condemned. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a fact. And so faith says, I know I might feel guilty. I might feel like letting you in, but I got to stand on what the legal document says. And this house is mine. Why don't you get to step in? See, some of you have just been too passive in your walk with God. 
and you've allowed through open doors and a lack of faith, you've allowed the enemy to come in and just rearrange your house. Imagine if I came over to your house and I just went over to the wall and like your family picture. And I was like, I don't really like this. And I just threw it off the wall. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like the way that you have this, this furniture. It's just not my taste. And I just start moving stuff. You'd be like, um, excuse me? That's not yours. But yet we allow the enemy to come in and move a bunch of things that are not his. Come on now. I'm going to just preach to myself today. Let me say this, faith is the vehicle that moves you into grace. Faith is the vehicle that takes you into the power of God. It unlocks his spirit for you. But let me say this, faith is, before we go to our next point, faith is a choice. How many of you know you've got to wake up every day and choose to put your faith in Jesus? So what some of us do is they're like, well, I've been saved for, man, I've been saved 25 years, but I'm struggling. But see, you're still borrowing from the faith that you had 25 years ago, and it ran dry a long time ago. And so you come to church wanting somebody to pray for you or wanting somebody to wave the spiritual wand over your head to make all of your problems go away, when in reality, you're just going back and, and, and refusing to make a decision to put your faith in Jesus. Oh, but I don't feel, I don't care what you feel. Jesus, come on, I'm preaching to somebody. Jesus died for your sins and that one act was final. Come on. I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you because now I know I don't have to perform for him. This is no longer about how good I can be. This <laughs> This is just dependent on my ability to say, get to step and I'm a child of God and pull out my title deed. Faith is a choice. We need to live a life of faith. That's point number one. Live, learn to live a life of faith. Number two, we need to understand what it means to be in communion with the Lord. John chapter 15 uh, in verse four, says, abide in me, for the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And so you could say communion with the Lord or intimacy with God or relationship with him, or you could say abiding in him. What does abiding do? Abiding in Jesus plugs yourself into the power source. I'm gonna ask uh, my guys to come on out and uh, uh, Jesse's gonna come out. And this is an old school youth illustration that you're just gonna have to deal with today. It might be a little cheesy, but it's gonna make the point and you're gonna remember it. I, let, let, let's just, you, you know what? Just don't worry about the plug right now. This is, let me put them so everybody can see. This is Larry. Y'all, who, who remembers in my old school youth group Larry the Lamp. He came back to church today. This is Larry the Lamp. And uh, Larry goes to uh, Church of the Light right up the street. Um, 
and uh, and he's he's a good he's a good lamp, and <laughs> and Larry he he looks good. Like, you know, he's like one of those modern um, guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, you know, he's a millennial. And um, <laughs> stay on point, Stephen. And, uh, and he looks the part, you know. He, he understands what he was created to do. Um, but the problem is, although he knows what he was created to do, and he's going to Church of the Light, his light is not coming on, and he's frustrated. And so you know what Larry does. Well, Larry does what any lamp or anybody would do. He goes to church, and he asks the pastor to pray for him. And he says, you know, Pastor Lamp, I need you to pray for me because my light is struggling, and it's not shining, and I was designed to shine. I mean, I look like a lamp and everything's great on the outside, but man, inside, I got some problems. And so, you know, Pastor Lamp, you know, lays his lamp hand on Larry and, uh, and prays for him. And then he goes back and nothing happens. And he tries really hard. So then you know what he does. Well, this is what we would do, right? So then Larry goes to the Christian bookstore. Because that's what you do if you're struggling, right? I'm not going to go off on that. He goes to the Christian bookstore, and obviously you want to go to the number one bestsellers, right? Because if it sold the most, it must be the most important. And so he finds a book, and it's perfect. It's actually eight ways to shine at your brightest life now. Eight ways to shine really bright. And so he starts reading the book. And he's reading, and he's through these steps, and then he's like, okay, all right. Nothing. And he's frustrated. He's still coming to Church of the Lamp. He's still doing his, you know, he's still, you know, fellowshipping with other lamps and doing all the things that lamps should do. But he's struggling. He's looking the part. He's smiling when he comes to church, right? But it's a dull smile. And so, and so if, if he came to you after church one day, what would you tell Larry? Come on, talk to me. You, you would say, you would say, Larry, in order for you, see, everything about this lamp was designed by the designer. And, and it has a function. And, and so when it is plugged into the power source and it remains in the plug and the power source begins to flow through the plug and into this lamp, the, the, the electricity actually consumes the lamp from the inside and then all of the sudden, without even trying, Larry begins to do what he was created to do. Are you with me today? He begins to do what he was created to do. And listen, he doesn't have to try. Listen, he doesn't have to say, oh my goodness, I've got to try really hard to be who I've been designed to be. All he has to do is stay plugged in. Communion with Jesus 
keeps you plugged into the power source. And when you're plugged into the right power source, all of the sudden, the, the Holy Spirit is released inside of your body. And then naturally, without even having to try, you begin to do what you were designed to do. What you were designed to do. Jesse, you can come take Larry. He's late for church. You're going to have to. Let me say it this way. Having power does not equal victory. Possessing power does not give you victory. Knowing how to use and activate that power brings victory. What does that mean? We have to learn how to steward the things that God has given us. And the only way for you to walk in victory is to stay plugged in to the power source of the Holy Spirit through intimacy through fellowship, and it doesn't have to be in your closet with the door shut, you know, praying real loud. It's just an awareness every day. Listen, I can have some of the most spiritual moments when I'm at the mall pushing my daughter with my family, you know, in the stroller, because there, even though I'm not in church, I have, I have an awareness of his goodness and I have an awareness that he's in me and he loves me and I just tapped into it right there. And all of a sudden, man, it begins to affect everyone I'm around. Then my time at the mall just got better. Come on, somebody. Then my time at the restaurant just got better because my light's on. My light's on. We just prayed for that waitress. And she began to weep right there and wherever we were last week and just began to just, just, you know, just cry under the power of the Lord. Why? Because my lamp is always on. That doesn't mean I live perfectly, though. Can we be real? Because a life of faith is not a life of perfection. Matthew 20, 28, and the Amplified says, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always. Here's how he's tying his command with how to live it. And, and behold, in other words, and, and yes, teach them to live this way, but hey, look, that's what that means. Look, I'm with you. I'm never gonna leave you, even to the end of the age. And what does it say in the, in the Amplified? Remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. That's good stuff right there. So are you plugged in today? Are you plugged in today? Are you communing with Jesus? Do you have time where you're sitting with the Lord and you're, you're fellowshipping with him? If you will learn to live a life of faith and intimacy, I'm telling you, your Christian life will get a whole lot easier. So we look at a life of faith, look at communion, and lastly today I want to talk about the role that commitment plays. Communion, and now we're going to talk about commitment. And, and what does 
commitment have to do with living our life for Jesus? I want you to turn to the right in your Bible and go to Romans chapter 4. And I want to illustrate this because Abraham is called the father of the faith. And I've struggled with this at times because, you know, Paul references him in Romans chapter 4. And he says this, starting in verse number 18, talking about Abraham. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. See, I read that years ago and I thought, man, Abraham, you just had your stuff together. I mean, to be, to be written about like that in the New Testament, like, like he didn't waver and he was, and he was, fully convinced that God could do anything. And I read that and I thought, Abraham, man, I'm just not that way. Because if I'm honest, although my light is always on, I still have moments where where I'm struggling. I still have moments of weakness. I I still have moments where I'm, I'm pulled away by that old nature, by that old man. I know you don't ever have those moments, but, but I'm here to tell you that your pastor does. And there's times where, where, where there is a battle and, and sometimes are easier than others. And so I look at this and I say, Abraham, man, I, I, I can't even come close to living that way. But then I studied the life of Abraham. And to be honest, I got a little bit confused and I thought, wait a minute, I know for a fact that Abraham had his own problems. As a matter of fact, in in, in Genesis chapter 15, he got so mad with God that he's like yelling at God and saying, I can't believe this, You're, you're not giving me what you said you were. And then there was another time when he completely lied. He completely lied, and and he told a king that his wife was a sister because he didn't trust in God. And over and over, as I'm reading the story of Abraham, I'm realizing that, that he had mistakes. And then it dawned on me when I came back to Romans chapter 4, and I realized that the very words that were penned in Romans 4 were the very things that God remembered about Abraham's life. You see, we are not defined by our failures. We're defined by the ability we have inside of us in faith to get back up and keep pressing on. I don't know about you, but you see, I want to be, I want to, when I'm, you know, gone and and I want my grandkids and I, I want to be remembered, maybe not as a great preacher, maybe not as, as this, you know, premier church and affecting the whole, you know, and, and Pastor Steve. Listen, all that stuff, man, it sounds great, but, but deep down, it's, it's really little value. I want to be known as, as somebody who was a man of faith, 
who though he had his issues, though he struggled, and though he went here and there sometimes, but man, he would get back up and he would set his eyes on Jesus and he would not stop and he wouldn't give up. And he, even when, when, when life would hit him, listen, I respect so much people who go through difficulties in life, but they can, with the deepest conviction and the deepest hurt, say, but, but I know that God is enough. God's gonna get us through this. God's gonna see us through this tragedy. He's, he's with us. He's not left us. And, and I don't really understand the situation or why we're walking through this, but, but something in me, I just can't walk away from him. He's been good to us, and he's not gonna stop now. He's not gonna stop now. This is what I want to mark my life. Not perfection, commitment to the Lord. I've Listen, my wife and I have resolved in ourselves that no matter what happens, we're gonna serve Jesus. If that means tomorrow I'm not pastoring this church or next year I'm doing this or I'm doing that, it doesn't matter my title. I am going to serve God with all that I have. And at times I'm gonna struggle, but I'm getting back up. I'm telling you that right now. I'm getting back up. The devil can hit me, but I'm bouncing right back up. I've resolved in myself in the same way I've resolved with my wife. Listen, we have, we have issues at times that we work through, but let me tell you something. We've resolved ourselves to walk this thing together, which means that, and let me just say this, the word divorce has never come out of our mouth. We, we, don't, we don't use that as leverage to win an argument. Why? Because we've resolved ourselves. We're gonna walk through some things. We've been through many things, many, many hard times, when, when finances were not there, when we didn't know, you know how we were gonna pay a bill or, or, or put food on our table or, or walking through you know, the many difficult times of losing a baby and, and holding my wife on the mission field when, when she's you know, crying and we're, and we're frustrated and, we, and we're confused. This is real life. We've just, even though things will come and think we've resolved, we've committed our lives to Jesus. And so I wanna encourage you today. You need to know how to, to live a life of faith. We need to understand how to activate faith every single day. If we're gonna sustain obedience in our life and not be like that guy from years ago in my church who was just a hypocrite, but be known as somebody who's a person of faith. We have to, we have to know how to live in faith. And, and, and number two, listen, you have to understand, you have to understand what it means to commune with the Lord, to plug into your power source. Please hear me. You, I have seen it over and over and over. People, they, they start strong and then they burn out. I always say this, I would rather have, you know, somebody who's, who's committed and, 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 who's, um, and, and just consistency over intensity is what I'm trying to say. I see people come in here all the time, man, and they're just excited and they're jumping around and they're trying to win the world in day one. And all of that intensity doesn't measure up when a year later they've drifted away. You with me, church? I, here's really all I want to say to us. We're together in this thing for the long haul. I hope you are. This ministry, what God's called us to, is not a fad. 
Like, we're not trying to see who can have the best band and the best production and, and then fill the seats the most. God, help us if that's our desire. I'm trying to grow together with you to change the world for Jesus. It starts in our own backyard. It starts with a back to school where we, where we have the community come in here. It starts there. It starts at your work. It starts at the restaurant. It starts with you plugging in to the Holy Spirit and letting your light shine and really just being who you've been designed to be. That's what all this boils down to. And if we begin to do that, and, and, and the youth, they start, all of a sudden you see a light come on, a light come on. And now Deshaun's light's been on for a long time. This guy was out there at 7 a.m. putting out parking cones. So come on, somebody. All of a sudden, we start to see little lights go off. And then what happens is, you take that light out of here. And you walk into your job, and a light is shining. You walk into your home. To your home. Please hear me, dads. Be a light in your home. Don't come home grumpy. I'm guilty sometimes. Be a light. And if we do that together, we will sustain a movement that begins to change Pinellas County. And it's going to go beyond that. But it's not about me. It's not about how great my sermon is. I'm going to miss it some days. Trust me. There's going to be days where you're just like, eh, wasn't his best. The worship team's going to miss it sometimes. Well, I didn't really like those songs. didn't really feel it today. I hope that's okay. Because I hope that's not the goal. I hope the goal is that we grow together and we deepen our roots. And we say no matter what comes or goes, I'm going to live for Jesus. Would you pray with me today? Lord, I just, I just pray right now that you would begin to speak to hearts and, and literally uproot lies, condemnation. As a matter of fact, I just feel like in, in the spirit, just with, with heads bowed, eyes closed, you just imagine your home with, with some intruders in there. And... and just begin to pray right now and just, just say, get out in Jesus' name. Just to begin to just condemnation, get out in Jesus' name. Fear that's been keeping you up at night, get out. Anxiety, you're not welcome here. And then you pull out your title deed in the spirit and you begin to declare the peace of the Lord. The peace of the Lord in your home, the peace of the Lord in your hearts and your life. Lord, I pray for every person here that they could operate in your grace and your truth every single day. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.